solar is not going to slow down anytime soon. So if you're thinking about, man, you know, it sounds like I've missed the boat or anything like that, or, oh, it's risky, man, not doing it is risky. I think sitting on the sideline as the largest transfer of wealth in our generation, that's risky. This is the Solar Disruption Theory. Welcome to another episode of the Solar Disruption Theory. My name is Chad Towner. With us, we've got the wonderful Heather Morin. And today we have a very special guest. His name is Max Britton. Max Britton is the CEO of Sunder Energy, one of the largest solar sales companies in the United States. And uh, very, very excited to have you, Max. Thank you for joining. How are you feeling? Doing great. Happy to be here. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Chad. And, and thank you, Solar Disruption Theory, for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So uh, first things first, I, we want to get into like the solar experience and your thoughts on the industry and your experience as a CEO in a crazy, crazy uh, business. But I want to back up a little bit because one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on is is to talk about your time that you spent in the military. And first and foremost, uh, thank you for your service. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Do you, how do you feel when people say thank you for your service? I've always been wanting to to ask somebody <laughs> this because I, yeah. I feel like it's like, I feel like it's kind of patronizing. I don't mean it in a patronizing way. How do you take it? it it's a very nice, polite thing to say. Yeah. I don't ever expect anyone to say anything. And if you want to say that, that's certainly better than nothing or screw you or something, you know? So yeah, it's totally fine. Yeah. And it's nice. Yeah. Okay. It, do you feel like you represent a lot of other uh, veterans in that regard? Like I truly mean it, but I also know that, you know, it, it may come across as some sort of obligatory, you know, a, appreciation or gratitude. So how do you think, how it, do you think? Other yeah, people it feel could. About it? I think, <clears throat> I think it's probably largely dependent on how that individual feels about their time in the service in general. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily have something to do with you or whoever saying it to them, but if they look back fondly on their time in the military, like I do, it just puts a smile on my face because it makes me think of one of the coolest times of my life. And so it's a cool way to just remember that. And, but if you had a terrible experience or, you know, some people suffer from trauma from things they were you know exposed to or had to do, probably quickly brings back things that are a little rough for them. So, what you was know, your position? so I was a tanker on the Abrams tank. So cool. I, I started as a loader uh, then a then a driver, and so there's four positions: the loader, the driver, the gunner, the tank commander. So Those that was are all awesome it, sounding positions. It was it was so fun. It was so fun. Yeah. I I like knew from a young age I wanted to be in the military. Like my earliest memory, I was five years old, and a marine in a kindergarten in kindergarten, a marine who had recently come come back from Desert Storm, 1991. Uh, one of the kids in the class was was the son of a Marine. He came to the classroom in full uniform, and I was like, "Done. I don't forget this astronaut gig. I want to. I got to be in the military." And I didn't know Army or Marines or what yet, but like from the youngest age, I was like, Screw "I astronauts. have to do it." Yeah, yeah. astronaut. <laughs> Done. Someone else can be a fireman. You wanted to be an astronaut for a little bit, or you know, the typical fireman, whatever. And then somebody came in from the military and you decided that was what you wanted to do. Yeah, super influential and then of course my my junior year September 11th happens only further galvanizing me like okay, I got to go do my part. 
the U.S. Army invades Afghanistan, goes, you know, gets busy over there. By the time I joined, the the war rumblings are steering towards Iraq at that time. I go join the army right after high school, basic training. I go straight to Iraq, and I join a unit who is already getting there and, and getting to their part of Iraq that they're going to be in the Fourth Infantry Division. And I, I joined them there, 18 years old. You know, you know, we when you're finishing up high school, you think you know everything about everything, and I quickly realized I knew nothing about everything, and it was very humbling uh, for me. And I've drawn upon that time. I actually mentioned it in a sales meeting this morning, how it sort of has given me a bit of a cheat code throughout the rest of my life because it really helped me realize, man, I can do some hard things, some difficult things, you know, going, you know, 90 plus days without a shower and going multiple days without food, you know, those, those kind of like extreme things that when I think about, oh man, a lot of texts and emails and calls and you and I have a lot of things to deal with. It's like, I would pray for these problems, you know, back when I was there. So, you know, it's, it was really good for me to draw upon those things later on. So from the time you joined the army to the time you went to Iraq, like the basic training, how long was that? Four months. Yeah. So I did uh, the, as a tanker, you do your basic training and your specialized training all at once. So it was like four months straight in Fort Knox, Kentucky. Then you go straight. Uh, I flew to Kuwait first, and then joined a group and went, drove up into Iraq, and then eventually was in the northern part of Iraq, a city called Tikrit, Saddam Hussein's hometown, his birthplace. So they were all understandably ticked that we were there and had kicked him out of office. And uh, yeah, so I was I was there for the remainder of that year tour. Then I went back to where I was stationed, Fort Hood, Texas, and then went back again for another one year tour in Baghdad in 2006. And so I, I did my, my four years total in the army, two of them overseas. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So 90 days. Hold on. I just got to acknowledge that 90 days without a shower. Yes, <laughs> it was, but that's what you got out of that. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about that. Okay. I, I, I wanted to <laughs> touch was, on that as well. Yeah. Was, I mean, you're conserving water in a sense. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of like foreshadowing like, the next. Exactly. Piece. Yeah. Like describe, I, I wanted to get into the, like the stories cause I've known you for several years now You've always been kind of private, and we'll get into that. But um, maybe let's get into the shower. Like, <laughs> oh, jeez. What well, does a man feel and smell like? And just overall, what's the environment man. around a man who hasn't showered in 90 days? You're, you're, I mean, your skin doesn't look like your skin anymore. It's super unhealthy, for sure. It's not good. You know, for like the first 30 days... Like I had like a pack of wet wipes that I was making do and wiping down my sensitive, stinky areas, but those ran out. And then there's no 7-Elevens in Iraq yet, you know, so, so we, you know, we just sort of didn't have things. And, and it, the nice thing was everybody was disgusting and stinky. And right. so you stop being a smelly Yeah. I, yeah. Exactly. How is that a yeah. nice thing? Like, <laughs> I wouldn't mind being the only stinky person because then I at least don't have to smell other people. But you're having to smell yourself and other people. It literally at some point we just started, I sadly adjusting to nose it. blind. Yeah, nose blind. yeah, we didn't really wow. notice yeah. it. I mean, you you do some weird things in the military. Like in my tank, 
you sometimes there's situations where you can't get out of the tank. You might get shot. Oh, so you gosh, have to yeah. go to the bathroom oh, in, in the, the tank. tank. As close as we are now, you might have to do your thing. And I just avert my eyes and, and you're, oh, I'm smelling gosh. things and you're smelling things. And, and it's, it's a unique situation for sure, for sure. But, you know, it's, we all, we all had to do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can like really now say after having heard your stories, like, thank you oh. for your service. Yep. Yep. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. My stinky service. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the things I've always kind of admired about you and recognized is I know that you've got a ton of stories and a ton of crazy things that have happened, things that you've done. Um, I think you've shared some things with me, but you know, maybe less than 1% of what actually happened and what it was really like. And, um, your ability to kind of compartmentalize and, you know, put that experience in a box, lock it up and put it on the shelf and focus on kind of this new task at hand. And so, um, if you wouldn't mind unlocking it for a second, what is maybe, uh, one of the more interesting stories that, uh, you might be able to share with people that either they haven't heard it or not enough people have heard it that you think could be impactful or interesting to them. Yeah. I, I think <clears throat> to be honest, one, one of my main takeaways, and this might be, you know, too high level, but you know, one thing I think is really important that I've made an emphasis to talk about when I do talk about this is how similar the people are to us and how 99% of the Iraqi people, they want safe schools. They want safe neighborhoods. They want, they want to have a job that they're proud to do and be excited to do, put food on the table and, and like at its core, like they're so similar to what the average American family is hoping to achieve and have. And, you know, that, that American dream doesn't belong to America. You know, it is a worldwide desire for parents and families everywhere. And I didn't, I didn't think about that as an 18 year old until I saw it firsthand. I remember being in basic training, you know, practicing on the rifle range training and they, you know, they really demonized and really painted the enemy as a alien group of people because make it easier for you guys. to pull that trigger. Right. Yeah. 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 And studies show it works, you know, but then you get over there and general Petraeus, you know, a very smart man went on to be the director of the CIA. You know, he first coined this phrase, you got to win the hearts and minds. You can't, you can conquer a nation with force, but you can't, you know, settle it or help develop it, you know, at the barrel of a gun. So it was really, you know, a shift that we all had to make and some made it faster or slower than others. Uh, but once I made it, it was like, okay, you know what? Actually, now we got to really shift gears here. The Iraqi army surrendered. There are still a small population, small percentage of people that are going to continue to fight us every day. But 99% of these people would love for to, to have all the fighting just stop, you know, turn to nothing and just get to a point where they're just feeling safe. So that was really one of my biggest takeaways because I would I would come back. And people would ask me, you know, what's it like? And they would bring up the religion thing. And obviously, the United States is largely Christian and they're Muslim. And, you know, people would bring that up about how, you know, how different they are. And, you know, I, I would have to correct them a little bit and say, for the most part, yeah. they're the same people. Yeah, I, I haven't been to Iraq or Afghanistan. I've been to Jordan and Israel and some of those other, you know, regional countries. And, and I, I had a similar feeling, but I did not know that that was the case um, in those two areas. So yeah. that, that's fascinating. I mean, um, 
yeah, I, I, it is a very interesting topic that I feel like I could talk about with you all day. And, you know, you have shared some stories with me, you know, to, to think that what you did then, sometimes I, I joke about like the Max I know today is a totally different person from what, what you must have gone through. Yeah. So what was that transition like coming home? I think you got into lobbying shortly thereafter. Yeah. So I remember being in Baghdad, my second tour, and sort of not out loud, of course, but you know, one of my many long 12 to 15 hour shifts in the city. And I think most soldiers who have seen combat will agree that 95% of your time is so boring, just dreadfully boring. You go out, your rifle's fully locked and loaded, you're ready to go on a big fight. And nothing happens. Yeah. Huge majority of the time, you know, and that, you know, thank God, right? But right. but those five percent of the time or whatever that something does happen, it's like sheer terror and you know, maybe friends are getting hurt or worse, and you're, you know, engaged in active live combat. And, you know, so there are some some quick times where you have to quickly, you know, shift gears. But during one of the many slow chunks of time in Baghdad, I remember thinking, like, man, okay, 9-11 happens. Then we go to Afghanistan, Osama bin Laden, Taliban, Al-Qaeda. Why, why are we here? <laughs> like, I know why yeah. I'm here. I, yeah. you know, I chose, I took the oath, I'm happy to be here. I'm not questioning my service, but how did the United States end up here? And the more I read about it, the more I learned about it, you know, I learned about this whole, what they call fourth branch of government, the special interest group, the lobbyists, and, you know, younger version of me was definitely attracted to that power to that uh -huh. influence and like, man, yeah, you know, for every senator, there's 10 lobbyists in his ears, whole, you know, steering him one way or the other. And, and it's, it was true and likely still is true today that that's where a lot of the laws come from and, and policies and changes. And so I got out of the army after four years, happily did my four years and then went to the university of Utah, got my political science degree and started working in the political world in Utah started working on being a lobbyist and representing different special interest groups. And I had this weird sort of blended time that, you know, sort of like Slumdog Millionaire perfectly got me ready to be where I'm at today. In the summers, I would go out and knock doors for Vivint, the, the mega alarm company now working with Freedom. And I, would, I went out there and I would sell alarms during the summer. And then in the fall, winter, and spring, I would go and be a lobbyist. You know, in Utah, the legislative session starts in January, ends in March. As you know, you did it for a decade. The alarm season starts in late April and ends in September. So it was perfect for me to sort of keep making effort and inroads on both of those skill sets. <clears throat> and then they eventually crossed paths when one of my clients was Vivint Solar. And I remember of all the clients I was involved in, all different people, I was just, anytime I had, you know, the ability to work on the solar um, effort. I was, I just thought this was the coolest product ever that, you know, yeah. it's good for the earth. It's good for future generations. It's good for the homeowner. It's bad for the utility companies. And I was like, <laughs> that's the big loser in all this. Right. I can sleep at night yeah. with that. And so, you know, a, a group of people that I was selling alarms with, they got into the solar sales side and I was like, you know what, as cool as it is to be helping push net metering around the country, let somebody else do that for a while. And I went on the solar sales side back in 2014 and started knocking doors for solar in 2014 in Las Vegas. So I was there. 
and it started transitioning. So you you found solar through lobbying. I did not know that. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that was my first exposure to it for sure. I remember we were meeting with the legal team for Vivint Solar, and they were, you know, we were trying to get net metering passed in Utah, and and I was right there, you know, helping write the bill that would become law to codify net metering in Utah, and it was. I was like, this is this is the coolest thing. Every every keystroke, I was falling more and more in love with the product and you know the potential to really change how we do things in the world. I'm yeah, like, man, I'm doing a small part, but I wanted to go learn the solar side of it as well. So that's why I got into the sales side. And so you went, you know, from overseas helping Americans to like truly making a difference in this country. With with fewer uh, times getting shot at, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. fewer times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, man. I've never been shot at okay. on the doors, but yeah, way Good. safer and more sustainable way okay. of doing it for sure. Yeah, that's commendable. Thank so you. fast forward a couple of years, and you're doing well with solar. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of hype and excitement around solar, and you know, you and Eric Nielsen stand up a new company called Sunder. Yeah. And today it's this giant company. You guys are, I think, you know, one of the largest, if not the largest solar sales companies in the country. Um, you guys, you guys installed over $40 million worth of solar last month or close to it. So from that point, getting into solar and now Sunder's this massive company what are some of the things that happened from from then to now, and how did you guys get here? Man, so it has been a wild ride. You know, it's we're about thirty eight months into Sunder's existence, and it's it's pretty cool to see us go sort of collectively, Sunder and Freedom, go from five states to thirty. Yeah. I, I believe when we started working together here at Freedom, I believe it was California, Arizona, Nevada, Colorado, Illinois with Texas on the soon horizon, yep. but not yet. No, no branch in Houston or anything yet. So to see, you know, the past three years and some change through a pandemic, through a, a rough presidential change, through inflation, through a million ships backed up at the port of Long Beach with all the equipment we need to, to see that kind of growth. It's, it's, it's a testament to what you and Brett and others are building and our resilience and your resilience and really our dedication to, you know, the mission, you know, and it's, it's so many of our competitors and, you know, I'm, so when I say this, I'm sure you're thinking of a dozen or more that we thought about, or maybe we're like looking up to as the competition three years ago, some of them have shrank. Some of them have stayed flat. Some of them don't exist anymore. And, and Sunder and Freedom have, just catapulted past so many companies that didn't know that either of our groups existed three years ago. So it's, I know that's not specifics, but it's just a testament to, you know, what's going on here. It's Anytime a special place. Anytime you're measuring something in months, like I love how you said like 38, <laughs> 38 months, months. I was you about know to wish, things are changing fast. <laughs> I was about no to wish you a happy three year anniversary, but I guess I should wish you a happy 38 month Thank you. anniversary. Yeah. And uh, it's been a wild ride. And, um, one of the kind of, I think, initial things that really took off was at the time, you know, this is kind of more commonplace now, but at the time, I don't think that there was this, there was this, there's this concept of like, we call it super dealer, but like this concept of a, of a 
of a sales organization that is just focused on selling, not yeah. focused on, you know, a lot of the administrative and, and, you know, the, the behind the scenes processes, stuff that comes with growth and all that. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. All the things that comes with growth or just starting a company, running a company. And so at the time, you know, this concept of, of you guys just focusing on selling, training, recruiting did not exist. And how do you think that or what other strategies have have helped you guys kind of get to this point? Yeah, that was certainly one of them for sure. You know, being able to, I mean, we all have 24 hours in the day and to be able to focus on the thing that is most measurable to my customer, which is the Sunder sales rep. You know, of course, now we all collectively have homeowners that are customers but to be able to focus exclusively on what's best for the rep today and tomorrow. And, you know, like that was really helpful, especially in the early days where it was so scary, so stressful, you know, very, very tumultuous, um, you know, time with the company that, that we used to work for, you know, it wasn't a very graceful breaking up or ending of a relationship. And so it was, it was definitely tough. Uh, in those early days, and it still is tough, as you know. Solar is is changing and it's evolving, and it's always a new thing to figure out. But you know that was absolutely helpful. I think that and just just focusing on, like you alluded to a moment ago, just what's best for the rep, just what's you know the the best rep experience, and letting us on the Sunder side focus all of our efforts on that. I think made a huge difference in the early days, and still does. Still does. Yeah, but and but when you guys made that transition something else that did not exist at the time was this where if a sales rep leaves a and their existing sales company at the time every company had it set up to where if that sales rep leaves he could have tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of commissions in their pipeline yeah. that had not been installed yet and they were about to get installed or eventually were going to get installed and the previous company, if you leave or decide not to work with them or do anything to make them angry, they just keep and retain that. It disappears. Yeah. They keep that money. And so, which I think is absolutely wrong and unethical, but you guys, it didn't exist at the time, but you guys came up with this plan of, hey, we we actually want to take care of sales reps, even if they leave, as long as they leave on good terms, we will keep paying them after they leave. Where did that come from? Why did you guys do that? That was not, that, that did not exist before you guys. Well, you know, and even if they don't leave on good terms, you know, unless they, unless they actively owe us back, we pay them. Even dudes that don't leave on the best of terms, yeah. for sure, for sure. But okay. where did that come from? Um, just like many lessons in life, you either learn them from somebody who you think was doing things the right way and you'd like to emulate it, or sadly, you see an example of the opposite and how to really alienate people or do things the wrong way or mistreat people. And you see it. And I saw that firsthand and I've, we've all seen that. Like you said, I don't know who else is doing it the way we do it. So I'm not targeting any one company with my words here, but the industry as a whole is sadly notorious for this. So we, we said, Hey, you know what? This will be a, a decision that hurts us in the short term financial, you know, because they're just like every sales organization, we can put our best foot forward. People leave, people leave the industry altogether. 
mother-in-law gets sick, they have to move back home, maybe at the, you know, whatever, life changes. You know, no one is going to work at Sun there for 50 years. And, and, and at some point our parts, our paths will part. So we just went into it like with respect in mind, you know, really treating our people with true respect, not I will like you as long as you're here in my uniform making me money. And then if that changes, whether I treat you with respect changes. And so we, we just went into it, the mindset of like, at the very beginning, during, and even after the working relationship comes to an end, we got to treat them the same way the whole way. Have to do it. Have to do it. I think it's the right thing morally to do. I don't know if it's the right thing legally to do or not, but I don't care about that. There's a lot of things you can get away with legally in America that aren't the right things to do. So we just wanted to do it the right way. Have you had people who have left, you paid them out, they realize maybe the grass isn't greener and because you paid them out on their previous commissions, they came back to you and they're like, hey, these are good guys. They're actually the only ones who are taking care of people even after they leave. Has that come full circle? Absolutely. Literally today, I was in correlation in our Orange County team, and there was two guys uh, that were there. They were with us. I think they they left us about eleven months ago, twelve months ago, maybe. You know, they, for for whatever reason, you know, they decided like a different opportunity would be better for them, and that was okay. I think their last install with us took place two months after they left, and we paid them in full on every single deal. And they went over to that other company. You know, they got recruited. They got sold on a dream and a vision that it's going to be all perfect and and everything. And pretty quickly, you know, they started reaching out and, you know, checking back in with us. They signed a one-year commit with this other company. And and so they sort of were a little bit stuck for a year. And then as that one year came to an end, they came right back. And they gave me a hug today. They told me they love me. And it was it was so cool to, to see him back in a Sunder uniform and, and here because we didn't talk trash on them. We didn't, you know, screw them over or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, we see this too often in this business. This is the wild west, right? This is still so much in its infancy. I mean, if you were to look at like compare this to when, when electricity started becoming mainstream in the United States, right? Let's go back a hundred years. I'm sure there were a lot of types of like ups and downs and wild west things. And a lot of everyone was kind of figuring it out as they go. And that very much feels like that's where we are right now. And um, so many people seem to just be doing things the wrong way. Why is that? Because they're getting away with it right now. You know, like you said, this is early. These are the early days. You know, these are the early days. uh, And we are starting to see our industry become more mainstream. And things that companies did one to 10 years ago are starting to catch up with them. You know, I'm not going to name any specific companies' names, but there are companies that you and I both are hyper aware of that were doing things very differently than Freedom and Sunder decides to do them that don't exist anymore. And they were way bigger than Freedom was when we started working with you three years ago. They, you know, at that time, and they kept growing over a little bit, you know, the past three years, not near as quickly as Sunder and Freedom, but they don't exist anymore. They're out of business and they're getting away with it until they don't. And it's not like there's any slaps on the wrist coming. When the Department of Justice and state's attorneys general and local media news organizations turn their sights on you, you know, the clock is ticking. It's over. And so now yeah. it's nice knowing that we don't have that in our future. It's it's a good thing. Yeah, no, it, it needs to happen. And 
you know, for all the good that we know we're doing and for all of the good that this industry can provide and for all the good that it is for the, for the planet, um, there's a lot of, a, a lot of things that I think people should be ashamed of. And so, which brings me to my next question, why the name Sunder? What does that mean? Yeah. Thank you. Great question. Yeah. Sunder is, I first came across it in the old Testament from the Bible and it means to break apart. You know, it's often used in like to tear asunder or, oh, yeah. you know, to, to break apart. And so we, <clears throat> we have these, you know, dual meaning. First of all, it's got the word sun in it. That was great. Loved that. And we got, we got a, a <laughs> dual meaning there. We've yeah. got, you know, the first one, you know, the carbon industry, you know, I don't have any personal hate in my heart for anybody in the carbon industry, but it's, it's something that is going to continue to hurt our earth. The longer we allow it to be the main way we get electricity and energy in the world. And, and I've got kids. So do you, um, I would love to say that we did our part collectively, everybody in the solar industry try to do their yeah. part to change things. So we're trying to break apart the way that people get electricity and then secondly, the second meeting, the thing, the other thing we're trying to sunder is what we just talked about. Some of the terrible practices that go on in the sales side, you know, yeah. there, there's a lot of predatory sales organizations that just have a meat grinder for people come in, use yeah. them, abuse them, dispose them, go find some more. And that's, you know, it's so, so short-sighted. Yeah. And I, you know, we've talked about the other sales organizations and sales leaders and executives that are doing things the wrong way. Um, I think there's also sales reps out there that are selling to the customer the wrong way. And that is yeah. something that, you know, the, on those two fronts, we are on a mission to basically either expose them, put them out of business, somehow get them to just go away. Yeah. Because we know that, that what we have and what this industry is and what it's becoming is the future. And we'd like to live in a world where, you know, we're, we're, we all are proud of what we do and not ashamed or embarrassed. I mean, there's a company who big company that just went out of business a few weeks ago. And I've been waiting for that day for over a year because yeah. we've known that they have shady sales practices. They're, they're not explaining to the customer how net metering works or they're charging too high. And it, it's just wrong. And if there was a way for, us to all just collectively keep a list of just all the bad actors and for customers to, I guess, be notified of who they should not be working with, then they could be going, they could have a much better experience. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if we like the product, the everything, like you said, it is win, win, win. Right. And uh, there's this opportunity to create this amazing thing, but it just seems like there are too many people who are just doing it wrong and they're hurting it for those who are doing it right. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Creates a stigma. So like when you say I'm in solar, you kind of wait for the backlash. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. People roll their eyes and they're yeah. like, oh, okay. geez, this uh -huh. guy, yeah. he's going to try and sell me solar and he's going to take me for <laughs> yeah. all, all I'm worth. Yeah. And yeah. the reality is there is, uh, and then when you explain to people, you explain to them how it works and do it in a way that just educates them. What is their response every single time? What, why doesn't everyone why do this? Why doesn't everybody do this? Like yeah. every single time the light bulb clicks and they say, everybody should be doing this. And the reality is they should. They don't fully understand it. They don't grasp it. And sales reps are not doing a good enough job explaining the very basics of it because they're too focused on making this big, huge paycheck. And so I think 
just like the companies, there's too many companies out there that are doing it wrong. There's too many sales reps out there that are that are not educating their customer and they're almost hiding things from them that shouldn't be hidden. Like there is so much good about this. If you just explain it all and give them a fair price, there is no negative. Yeah. There's none. I agree. I agree. I said this earlier today, 94% of 95% of homes don't have solar. You know, I think it's right. like 4% market penetration. Yeah. So over 95% of Americans don't have solar. And those that are going solar today likely have never gone solar before. So they're yeah. all doing it for the first time. If you go and walk into a Kia dealership and you want to get a new Kia car and then and you like it and it sounds like a good, you know, car that might fit for you. And then the sales guy's like, cool, that'll be one hundred thousand dollars or or seventy five thousand dollars. You know, you people know. People mm-hmm. know. They're like, what are you yeah, yeah right, like, what are you trying like, to charge? This is a Kia, right? Right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but with solar, with everyone going solar for the first time, with a tricky sales guy fudging the numbers or telling them half of what they need to know about this, you can, you know, not, not that we're doing that, but like people out there are getting away with lying to customers because customers are doing it for the first time ever. They don't know better. Yeah. We see it way too much. And, you know, uh, as much as I don't want all this, like, you know, regulation and red tape and all this extra work, I feel like some of this stuff has to happen because there's, I don't know how else to combat it other than, what we can control is do it the best way we possibly can do it the way we know how it should be done. And that will inadvertently shine a light and expose everybody else for, for doing it the wrong way. Yeah. And our, our, you know, our, our collective pay model that you helped inspire and that we use, it incentivize selling at a fair price. And there's a lot of price points that we seem to gravitate in that our competitors don't even have the option to sell that low to a customer. You know, they yeah. only make money if they sell sometimes, you know, twice as high as us. So it's uh it's hard to even accidentally take advantage of a customer here because of the way that things are set up. It's great. But you guys have created a very unique kind of partnership where you guys have these partners that live across the country that that manage their sales teams and they grow year round. Yeah. Which I think was also somewhat of a new thing because so many other companies are like summer focused. Right. 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 And that's really good for our business because our crews and our company, we have, we have 2,500 employees now and we don't want to live in a world where all of our revenue is generated in a four month period of time. We want that to be as growing slowly and steadily up and to the right throughout the course of the entire year and into the next and too many of these other companies, it's like this, then it's like this, then it's like this. Right. And I think too often we see, I think that is one of the biggest reasons why you pointed out earlier, all these other large installers, aside from all the things they're doing wrong, that's not necessarily their fault. They just haven't strategically been able to solve for it. Sure. So sure. you guys, how have you been able to make that happen where, where your sales volume is relatively steady year round? Because that's very unique. So no offense against anybody watching this who work in the following industries, but I think solar is sort of the f- final resting place, sort of the highest point on the totem pole for those people selling uh, alarm systems door-to-door, pest control door-to-door, yep. satellites. You know, a lot of times people will start in satellite, then go to pests, then go to alarms, and then eventually they get tired of the summer grind or they get married and they have children. And the wife is like, we're not bringing another two-year-old 
to Cleveland for the summer. You know, we're just not doing it. And right. So then it's like, okay, what do we do? I want, this is the skill set I've been working on for half a decade. How do I keep doing that? Oh, like, tell me more about solar. It's year round. I can move to a market and just like plant my roots and become part of a community. So we, you know, sort of, we're just in the right place at the right time to capture a lot of those maturing or graduating, very talented sales leaders that didn't want to do the summer grind anymore. And we just put ourselves in a spot where it's like, yep, 12 months a year, just like the rest of the world and the rest of the country. We're just open for business 12 months a year. We're always, you know, Christmas, you know, whatever Thanksgiving, but like 50 weeks a year, we're out there doing the same thing that you are. And, and it's clearly been the right decision to make. Of course, there are still some groups that are focused on travel, summer or whatever, but I think just like you said, the relationship with an installer and the, just the consistency, the long-term potential of having a sales leader just like say, I'm going to move to Tampa or better yet, we find someone in Tampa that we can build around and go and say, you're the person, keep growing, grow it from there. And they're just there 12 months a year kicking butt. And it's it's been you know, the best model for sure. Was that a shout out to Chris Minizzi? I love Chris and, <laughs> and Corey Walksler, Beef Squad. Love you guys if you're watching. Hopefully you guys are doing okay with the hurricane. Yes. Love you guys. Yes. All right. So um, what are some of the things that that you think are coming for the industry and for your for your company? What, <clears throat> what does the future look like for Sunder, for Solar? And uh, is your outlook positive? Or negative? I'm very positive. I think that there will be different looking speed bumps or hurdles over the short term and the long term. Uh, but you know, I hate to allude everything back to the military, but as we've seen the second largest military in the world fail miserably in, the, in Ukraine. We saw Russia go in there 10 times bigger, way stronger, way more powerful on paper, but very inflexible. No, not able to have decisions made on the local level, not adaptive at all. We have one way of doing things. That's going to be the only thing we're going to do. And as soon as the enemy does something you don't expect, they just continue to like fly towards that brick wall. So in summation, I think one of Sunder's greatest strengths is our ability to adapt and to improvise and be flexible and sort of, sort of be not so rigid that we can roll with the punches or adapt and overcome, you know, with the in, in uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah. For the first time since we've been working together, it looks like PPAs might, you know, have a reason to be on the resurgence. You know, like we I didn't see that coming Absolutely. six weeks ago. PPA yeah. equals. The power purchase agreement. Yes. You. Yes. You know, Sunrun, for example, you know, uh, for years, no offense against Lynn. I know I'm a big fan of yours. Hopefully you are of mine. But I thought loans were the future only, you know, and, and I love mosaic as well, but you know, it's, I didn't expect that six weeks ago and thank goodness we're not so locked in on one way of doing things that whatever thing that comes six weeks from now, we'll be ready for that collectively. You know, we can handle that too. Hence the month by month measurement. Seriously. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> week by week yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Week by week, day to day sometimes. It is such a crazy, crazy world that we live in, but therein lies the opportunity, right? No kidding. So what is your favorite part about what you do? Because I know you're always on the road. You're always out traveling. Um, you know, your your life is crazy. You're always putting out fires, but you're also constantly motivating people and inspiring people. 
And you guys really are making a significant impact on the environment, also in hundreds, if not thousands of, of salespeople's lives. And I know tens of thousands, if not eventually hundreds of thousands of customers' lives. Yeah, yeah. So what is, the, what is a, a week like in Max Britton's shoes? And uh, is it gratifying? It absolutely is. I've got the coolest job in the world. It it is hard sometimes. It's heavy. You know, I care so much. And thank you. Thank you. And when things are, you know, not going really well in, in one of the many categories of, you know, things I work on, I, I don't just go to bed at night being like, whatever. It's, it is on my mind. I want to make things right. I want to get things to a point where everything's healthy. The most gratifying thing for sure is, is seeing things um, like, for example, Brian Amaro, one of our district managers in Inland Empire. I'm going to see him tomorrow at Correlation. He was homeless five years ago. Who is this? A guy named Brian Amaro, one of the best leaders in Sunder Energy. He was homeless, did not have a place to live, lived in his car, lived in parks, he had no assets, nothing to his name. And now he is getting married next month. He's a homeowner. He's debt-free. He's leading other people out of, you know, crazy situations equally, you know, probably not as equally bad as him. But to see that, that is the most gratifying thing for sure. It's so cool to save homeowners customers. It's so cool to think that, okay, I just reduced, you know, carbon output by this much every day. It's so hard to measure that. But when I get a text from someone from a, from a 40 year old man, father of four, this is not Brian, someone else, Max, thank you so much for creating Sunder today. We are now debt free for the first time in my wife and I's lives. Like as an adult, we're now debt free. We're now saving for college for our 10 year old. We're, we're going to be able to afford to go on vacation next year for the first time. Like those kind of things are the coolest things that I could ever imagine. And, and, 20 years from now, when I'm way too old to be, you know, doing this, I'll look back fondly. I screenshot every text, every email that I get that's like that. And it means the world to me. And when I go to correlation and, and people are just thankful for the opportunity that they've had to change their lives. And, you know, we created this little platform and then they just ran with it. So they've got to do their part too. But man, if you put your hard work and effort in here, it really can pay off financially and otherwise as well. All right. Like, that's great. And that's amazing. <laughs> okay. But how did they get to that point? Like, how do you go from being homeless, living in your car, living on park benches, or, or you know, you've got all these kids and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills to debt free? Did they go to like a seminar and they learn how to invest in real estate or sell some new elixir that's so popular or you, energy right. drinks or skin for creams on the side? Like essential oils. Have you heard essential of oils are really big. <laughs> I mean, is it just that simple? They go and follow this Sunder recipe and grind and it works? I think I think one of the other advantages we have about being year-round is we have the ability to breathe a little bit. As, as busy as solar feels, we can focus on more than just like, you know, let me help you with your door pitch or like, what do you say in the home? Like we spend a lot of time and effort and energy on teaching financial principles you know, smart investments. We talk about real estate, you know, rental properties, investing, those kind of things. It's never like invest your money with Eric and I and we'll take care of it. Well, never is that. It's like, these are sound business principles. 
you know, here's how taxes work. Here's how the stock market works. Here's, here are these things. And so for, for the average 22 year old that gets spit out of the public education system in America. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if they taught us that in high school? It'd be amazing. How to, it'd be amazing. But, but you know, then we'd all be way too capable. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. We wouldn't be good, busy worker bees. <laughs> So we spent a lot of time on that and it's important to me for sure, because I know Sunder is awesome and I love solar and it's great. But like I said earlier, these guys, even the ones that come in here and really kick butt, they're likely to be here for less than 10 years. And that's totally okay and awesome with me. As long as they feel like the time they put in, they, it was worth it for them, that they leave better than they, they came in for sure. And so as long as we have that and they're leaving with, you know, maybe some debt-free, you know, cash in their pocket and, and some good principles and they go on, they could do something else. That's fantastic. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's the coolest thing in the world I've ever done for sure to see people come in and literally transform and change their lives, not just financially, but to learn leadership skills and develop. And, you know, they were the scared guy in the back of correlation a year and a half ago. And now they're standing in front of the room like this solar warrior, you know, leading people, teaching them what they've learned, you know, you don't see that in business very often. You don't. So I know how special this is and how lucky I am to be a part of it for sure. Yeah. And, and your guys' growth is tied to building more and more of those people, creating more and more of those stories. Yeah. Right. So, um, whether it's an existing sales rep in the solar business or somebody who's not in the solar business at all, and they maybe want to get involved, turn their life around or, or change careers. Um, if that person was sitting in front of you right now, what would you say to them? You are not too late. I've been doing solar since 2014 on the sales side. So that may think, oh my gosh, I'm eight years behind the guy on camera right now, but we have more years ahead of us than we do behind us. Solar is not going to slow down anytime soon. So if you're thinking about, man, you know, it sounds like I've missed the boat or anything like that, or, oh, it's risky, man, not doing it is risky. I think sitting on the sideline as the largest transfer of wealth in our generation, that's risky. Staying in a job where you're not involved in solar or renewables and somehow, that's risky. So, so take a less risky move, reach out. You don't have to come to Sunder, but get involved in solar. You absolutely should consider it. Thankfully, most solar companies are, are transitioning to year-round in market, so you should be able to find someone in your local place uh, where you live and get involved. You know, Get involved with Freedom, with Sunder, with whoever, but get on the solar train because you'll regret it because there's a lot of years ahead of us that are going to be awesome. How can people find Sunder? Sunderenergy.com or joinsunder.com as well. S-U-N-D-E-R. Well, he is Max Britton. He is the CEO of Sunder Energy. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your service. And uh, that was great. Heather, any last thoughts? No, no. Killed it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you both. Thank you, Freedom. Thank you, Solar Disruption Theory. Happy to be here. Thanks. All right. We will see you on the next episode.